Hello there and welcome to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin, as always. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by New Zealand international Michael Boxall to talk all things his career and preview the upcoming opponent's San Jose Earthquakes. But first, Kindra, let's revisit the first victory of the season for Minnesota United, a very impressive 1-0 win away at New York Red Bulls. And it's almost crazy hearing you say the first win of the season because I actually feel like the way the first two matches went, that it, it, it was like they got something more for it, meaning a draw at Philadelphia on the road and then, of course, at home at Nashville to pull out a draw. It felt like there was already a good amount of momentum and energy around the club. So then to go on the road at the Red Bulls in a place that we all know is difficult to play regardless of what the Red Bulls are doing at the time – but they've also were coming off of the two road wins. It was their home opener. These were all good things for Minnesota United to come away with the three points on the day. And I, just capitalizing on the finish. And, and Dane St. Clair coming up big. I and mean, we can go down a litany of things and a list of, of why Minnesota came away with the victory. But it was nice to get it out of the way here before the, home, the next home match against San Jose. What they did at Red Bull Arena last Sunday is they denied the Red Bulls history and I'm sure you caught uh, throughout the the commentary and the broadcast it it was legitimately history for the Red Bulls they were going for a 3-0 start for the first time ever in franchise history Minnesota United were there to play party poopers and my word they did it very well indeed but Dane St. Clair quite rightly so Kendra given the Bellbank man of the match he was awarded the MLS player of the week he was in the MLS team of the week this is a wonderful performance from him a big evening for him prior to that performance, Tyler Miller unfortunately unavailable due to a, a non-COVID related illness. Coming into it, everybody thought as soon as they saw Dane St. Clair, ooh, okay, this will be interesting because he's not played a lot of football recently. I know I certainly questioned his sharpness, but he came and improved everybody wrong almost instantly. Well, and I think it's not that we question whether Dane St. Clair has the ability to be a high-caliber level starting goalkeeper in this league, but we also all know that when you haven't been playing games, it is a completely different animal, and that goes for a goalkeeper or a field player. So Mm. for him to step on the pitch and do what he did, and we're talking a lot, and a lot of people made a lot of the penalty save, and Adrian Heath rightfully so pointed it out to us, it was really the save before that. That first save of the game, Lewis Morgan had a fantastic shot, and I love the angle we had on the replay from behind the player taking the shot. You could see it curling away from Dane, the fingertip save, and for him to just have that right off the bat and that kind of energy that not only does it give Dane Sinclair, but it gives the whole team. And you talk about confidence we say, we say the same thing with field players. Your first touch, your first shot, just have something clean, have something good, have something positive, a good tackle to go your way, to get you that confidence, to get the jitters out. And Dane St. Clair was just on point from the second that whistle blew, and you could see the energy from, from his teammates. So, yes, they needed a massive game from Dane St. Clair, knowing the offense for Red Bulls and what they had been able to do in their first two games and their attacking pieces and the quality that they'd had and to spoil the history for Red Bulls. So Dane St. Clair was fantastic on the night and, and he deserved that game because he continues to work hard in training. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's unfortunate that it, it happens to Tyler Miller, who we just talked to uh, you know, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, but that is the nature of the beast and the nature of the business and Dane St. Clair stepped up big time. The Red Bulls were thwarted wonderfully by Dane St. Clair. It wasn't just the fact that he made eight saves on the night, Kendra. It was the manner in which the saves were made as well. You mentioned the Lewis Morgan save early on, then the penalty save, but then there were several other efforts as well, different variations of saves that he made that I thought were particularly impressive. That The one that I thought was really good was uh, from Drew Yearwood on the edge of the penalty area. It, it looks for Lovner money that it's heading into the bottom corner and all of a sudden Dane St. Clair comes into the frame and, and palms the ball away. There was another impressive save that I don't think is talked about too much so far um, when Aaron Long of all people was able to get in behind and, and Dane St. Clair again makes another different save. Wonderful was that the see. one where he came off the line? It was. I mean, that was that was one I don't think has gotten talked about enough. No. I love that we showed it in the replay. Absolutely. It, it was um, a wonderful performance from Dane St. Clair. The question is now, what does it mean for Tyler Miller? Well, right now it means that Dane St. Clair is the starting goalkeeper this week. I mean, who knows what that means going forward, but how do you not start Dane Sinclair? And I have no idea what Adrian Heath is thinking. This is just my opinion heading into the match. I mean, you have to start Dane Sinclair. 
And, and we talked about this when Dane St. Clair got the bump last season, right? I mean, the the team starts 0-4. Tyler Miller comes in. They switch the goalkeeper, even though the 0-4 start necessarily wasn't due to a Dane St. Clair performance. You need to make a change. You have to switch it up. Tyler Miller comes in. He has a great season. And, and again, this is the nature of the beast. And, and all Tyler Miller can do, which he sat here and told us two weeks ago, and this was when he had the starting job, is that you have to come and you have to show up every day and get the work done. And you can't have the negative feelings. You can't have the negative energy. All you can do is control what you can control. And and Tyler Miller is a professional. He's been through this. He's been ups and downs, Seattle Sounders, LAFC, Bob Bradley, national team call-ups, being denied, going to be able to go to camp, coming here, double hip impingement, Dane St. Clair. I mean, we could go down the list. And mentally and emotionally, I think Tyler's in a good spot and he knows he's going to have to you know, find a way to get back into form, get back into the team. He wasn't out of form, but Dane St. Clair, in my mind, should be the starting goalkeeper this weekend against San Jose based on that performance. A player uh, a couple of metres ahead of Dane St. Clair on Sunday was uh, Kerbin Arriaga. Um, was flawless, in my opinion. Um, I can't recall him giving the ball away. I recall him winning the ball back plenty of times. I recall him gaining a huge amount of yardage, bringing the ball forwards on several different occasions for Minnesota to relieve pressure, but also his passing range was wonderful. It looks... for By the way, we're, we're told it's a transfer fee of about $50,000 <laughs> for, for um, Kerbin Arriaga. Um, if that is the case, and he continues to perform at the level we've seen so far, that's one heck of a steal for Minnesota United. Well, and I think it, it goes to the point of, first and foremost, you never know in this league how players are going to translate. You could pay $10 million for a player and you don't know how they're going to translate. You could pay $50,000 for a player and you don't know how they're going to translate into this league, new country, new situation. And he has been fantastic from every stretch of the imagination. And we have the benefit of seeing him at training too. Smile on his face, willing to do the work. Looks like he's blending right in with the guys. Adrian, he has told us several times in Portland, they're looking at each other like, we might have really gotten something here, you know? I mean, and again, you don't know how it's going to translate. You do the work, you do the scouting, you try to find out what kind of a person they are on top of being the, a player. And he's willing to do the work on both ends. He's got the motor to do it. He's got the skills to do it. He's got the energy. He's got the length. We talk about set pieces, and I talk about how he can strike a ball, what a benefit that's going to be going forward to have Ray with the left and Ariaga with the right and his skill set. Then defensively on set pieces, to be able to head the ball, mark the big guys, cover the ground, and just smart when he gets possession. We've seen him ping the passes, switch the fields. I mean, he's checked off so many boxes right now, and he's only played in two games, um, having missed the game at home against Nashville. I can't wait to see as he continues on this path and with this club how he's going to benefit. And the midfield will benefit from him because, again, it's just more quality depth and it's more quality competition. What else did you see from that victory at the Red Bulls? Well, I thought I saw that Minnesota United weathered a storm because they, without their best player playing well, found a way to win the game. And Emmanuel Reynoso, and I think he would tell you the same thing if you asked him, did not have a great game. He had uncharacteristic giveaways in positions where he wasn't even under pressure, turning the ball over in spots where you can't turn the ball over. And his team found a way to pick him up and get the job done defensively time and time again. They picked up some of the slack for turnovers that didn't need to happen. Will Trapp had some uncharacteristic turnovers as well in the middle of the field to the place in the pitch where you can't have those turnovers. And his defense, the defense, his teammates picked him up. And then offensively, Hassani Dotson and team and company capitalizing. Luis Amaria finally getting a goal, which was fantastic. Just getting him off the schneid in those situations as a goal scorer. So for me, they weathered the storm early. The Red Bulls were the better team in the first half. Dane St. Clair stood on his head, and they capitalized on the moment. The Red Bulls fell apart in the second half. And I thought they didn't have answers for the energy um, and the possession that Minnesota was able to find in the second half to finish their moment. So that, that to me, is a gritty team win because mm. when you don't have your best player playing their best and you find a way to get the three points on the road in a historic moment for the Red Bulls, I think that says a lot about this group and a lot about this club, and hopefully it carries on as we go into the season, continue on. Well, Minnesota did outpossess the Red Bulls just about, by the way, uh, at Red Bull Arena, which is um, something we're not too accustomed to. It, it did feel as though as soon as Minnesota had scored, the Red Bulls ran out of ideas. It did, and offensively, they, they, you could see the frustration on their 
faces. You could see it in their body language that they were getting frustrated that what they were doing the first two games and the first half against Minnesota United wasn't working all of a sudden. And there is a pressure to win at home. So much was built up about this 3-0 and start, these two massive wins. You've got Klamala, you've got Morgan, you've got all these pieces, Frankie Amaya kind of finding his form and other players, you know, they're trying to fill in for Sean Davis. They get Drew Yearwood kind of clicking on all cylinders. So you felt like this was their moment and instead... Minnesota United stymied that offense, frustrated them. They ran out of ideas. They started throwing up their arms at each other, pointing at each other. Morgan was finding himself in, in, in wider spaces instead of being able to combine an attack on transition. And that's exactly what you need to do if you're Minnesota United, in particular on the road. If you can do that on the road in this league, weather that storm early on and then find a moment to capitalize on offense and finally something goes in and you finish. You know, it's funny that we kind of glossed over, at least I did, about Luis Almaria's goal. Mm-hmm. My husband, I get home, and the first thing he says to me, I walk in the door, is, I didn't think you gave it enough credit. That was a, a ridiculous strike. It's, it's a volley. And I feel like in the moment, you know, I mean, I just, and I said to him, I tried to make some excuse about how there's not enough replays when we're watching these <laughs> games off a monitor, and I didn't get a good look, and the replay came late and all this stuff. But give some credit to Luis Almaria, because that was a beautiful finish, and it was a goal scorer's finish, and it was nice to see him uh capitalize for, you know, what we see him do at training and put the work in. Because Adrian Heath had said to us earlier last week that the one thing he felt was that Luisa Maria had lacked service, which I think was a fair statement. He was given service at Red Bull Arena at least once, and he took his chance. How do you feel psychologically now? What do you feel psychologically that will do for him moving forward? Well, I hope for the whole group it'll just be less frustration from an attacking perspective because I feel like for Luis clearly scoring the goal, he'll have a little bit of relief. You know, he knows what he said to the club and to the fan base a couple years ago. 25 goals, he scores two, he gets injured, he's not able to return here, does wonders in Ecuador scoring goals, and then comes back here and wants to pick up where he left off. So you know that he wants to contribute. So that will just be a little bit of weight off his shoulders. But I think for the whole group, they knew they weren't getting him good service. Luis wasn't able to get the ball in good spots. They know what kind of goal scorer he is. So if they put it in an area where he can finish, He'll do that, and that's exactly what they proved there on a nice volley on the edge of the 18, a not easy shot to to strike and to finish. And I think that it'll take a little pressure off of everybody, and slowly but surely they're continuing to find that uh, that energy, that momentum, that chemistry. I think Robin is still trying to find his way with Luis, with mm. Ray, with Fragapane, um, with Ariaga coming forward. Um, so I think all these guys are just going to find a, a way to settle in a little bit and getting that win helps. Okay, before we go to break, um, a new signing for Minnesota United announced uh, Kimar Lawrence mm. joining the club from Toronto FC. I get the feeling this is somebody that they've been looking at for some time. And I say that because he matches this system so well, given the, the modern day feel of the fullbacks and what they do in Adrian Heath's system. If Minnesota United get the Kimar Lawrence that we saw, ironically, at New York Red Bulls before he went off to Anderlecht, this is one heck of a signing. It's a massive signing, especially if the deal is what it seems to be reported. We talk about another steal of a deal for getting a quality player like that. And who knows why and what reasons it, it doesn't end up working out in Toronto. I'm sure we can all speculate and guess. But I think if you can get a player like that and still at that level, and a player that wants to play and wants to be here, sometimes that's half the battle, that he wants to be playing at this at that level in this league, a starting caliber outside back, then that is, again, one of those players that checks all the boxes. And I think, again, it's more quality depth. It means more competition. It means that you have players that are fighting for spots and training every week to make the 11, not just the 18. And I think that that's just another one of those players, a veteran of the league as well, has played in MLS, knows exactly what he's doing in this league. And I think there's a benefit to that. You can't really put a... um, an exact value on it, but you need a good mix of internationals and, and players that have played in the league and understand what it is. And I think he's going to be a fantastic signing. And, and hopefully he's, I don't know him personally, but you would assume Adrian and company have done their homework on if he's a locker, good locker room guy, what kind of chemistry, what kind of, how's he going to blend in? I think he'll, he'll be perfect. To our knowledge, he's not fit. He's not had much of a preseason. Once he is fit and available, is he the starting left back for you? Uh, he should be. He should be considering the circumstances and, and what the team is sort of dealing with right now in that position. Yeah, you don't want Debassi as your outside left back right now. You want him to move back into the center in the 
interior left center back um, along Boxel. Nothing against Brent Coleman, but that's where you want Debassi. And if Chase Gasper is going to be unavailable, continued to be unavailable, then yeah, he should be your starting left back. Okay, stay with us. Michael Boxall coming your way after the break. You're listening to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results and care team, you're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org ortho. everyone, welcome back to the Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams, Kindred D. St. Aubin, joined by a very special guest. Michael Boxall joins the podcast. Boxy, lots to talk about. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. First and foremost, let's get this out of the way. Kindred and I, in the previous segment, spoke about that victory at the Red Bulls. From, mm. from your vantage point, how big of a win was that? I think, yeah, when we start the... Obviously, you kind of have last season start on the back of your mind, and you kind of want those first couple of games to, to get three points on the board. Obviously, some tough opponents away at Philly, uh, Nashville at home, especially when you go down early. And then, obviously, we've had a bit of success previously at Red Bull last time we were there. And um, I think the full team really showed up and, and dug in, especially the Red Bull's kind of performance there. They are direct and kind of get at you. So for us to match that and then, obviously, a little bit of the brilliance for the goal. Um, and then, obviously, in our goal, um, a lot of brilliance. Um, so, yeah, obviously very, very happy with those points. I was just going to ask you that, and this will be my the one on the Red Bulls, but Dane St. Clair, I mean, Brent Coleman even said to us yesterday, he didn't realize how great some of those saves were until he went back and, and watched it. Mm-hmm. Were, were you ex- We know his quality, but when he hadn't played in the game for so long, were you expecting something like that, or what does that do for the group? I think I'm the opposite. I'm like, in the game, I'm like, that's world class. And then I like, <laughs> you kind of watch it back, and you kind of see – you acknowledge like the little technical ability, like his footwork before he dives is like all his like years and years of training and the preseason and what he's been doing while he's been on the bench and still staying, making sure he's alert and active. It's like those, his, what is now instincts is that's absolute class. And you just see that kind of come out and yeah, in the game, you're like, I don't know how we saved that. And then you kind of watch it back and you like see the technique, the ability really, really come into play. I'm going to ask you this because I've, I've been asking some difficult questions on this podcast. So we'll continue the theme here, so <laughs> apologies. Right. But um, with that performance from Dane St. Clair, how, how do you view the goalkeeping situation now? Because it's it's so rare to have two top-quality goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. But we know how this league works, Boxy. In, in yeah. a salary cap league, you, you can't have both. Mm-hmm. Something has to give at some stage. How, how do you view the goalkeeping situation? Uh, I mean, there's the trade values high. Trade them both, play Fred. And <laughs> <laughs> Um, honestly, I'd, it's, it's a really tough one. I think, I mean, you look at the first two games and Tyler's done nothing wrong, mm. um, except caught a stomach bug, whatever he did. And, and then as a goalkeeper, it's, it's so tough because there is only that one spot you're, you're playing for. Uh, so I don't know, who knows? You may not get the opportunity. You may have to wait 20, 30 games like Dane did a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, you may, three games in, you get called up on a day's notice and you put on the performance and, yeah, you earn the starting spot within 90 minutes. So um, I, c- I can't give you a definitive answer. I think uh, I'm happy it's not my headache. Um, so, But I think, yeah, between the two of them, we've got two class goalkeepers. And to be fair, Fred does play the guitar, we've been told. So, oh, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to trade the other two and keep <laughs> Fred, at least you have some entertainment on the road. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the very least. No, Fred's, I think Fred's got a bright future, but... I've, yeah, I've seen him doing a lot of carrying the guitar, not so much playing the guitar. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we'll need to we'll need to have him bust it out next time. There we go. We'll have Fred on the podcast at some stage, and we'll mm-hmm. have him play the guitar at some <laughs> stage. Yeah, we'll do that at some stage. We'll we'll we'll, we'll look back at this uh, in, a, in a couple of months and say, right, we said this. We'll have him on. Um, mm-hmm. You playing at centre half box. So you and I have spoken about this before. Mm-hmm. Eleven different centre backs you've <laughs> played with here at Minnesota United. I, mm-hmm. 
we, we know players come and go at football clubs, but yeah. I've never seen that before. Someone playing alongside that many different players. How, how do you keep it so consistent when you've had so many different bodies to play alongside? I mean, I feel like in that position, there's so little in your control. So, I mean, obviously, you again different different opponents every week, so you kind of prepare differently. Uh, they come at you different ways. Um, so you just kind of need you do, do need to be fluid and flexible in how you defend. And I think with kind of my my skill set, I can c- cover like even though I'm getting old, still got a bit of speed. <laughs> um, so if they're quick technical, I can still keep up with that. And then a team like the Red Bulls, if you have someone who, who's trying to outmuscle you, I haven't had an issue to date. So I feel like I can kind of fit the mould of, of most strikers. Um, and then, to be fair, most of the centre-halves I've played and full-backs I've played beside, and it's as long as you're communicating and organise things early, that's, that's like 90% of the job. I think if you're in the right spot, you get your teammates in the right spot, it's, it keeps it simple. But it's going to be a moment or two where... You need to scramble a bit, but that's it's all part and parcel of the job. And um, played enough games to to recognize those situations, kind of how you best adapt. So, uh, yeah. Although, yeah, it would be nice to, to settle into a, a nice back four without injuries, without um, yeah players coming and going. But it is what it is. I was just going to say that because it feels to me like so much of the center back pairings and make I just maybe I just make too much of it is about the chemistry, understanding strengths and weaknesses of the person immediately alongside of you. Like, oh, I mm-hmm. know he can get at that ball. I know I need to cover here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So h- how do you how do you compensate for that when when you maybe are rotating constantly? Uh, yeah, I do think you do need a bit of history just to get to know each other, how we play, where they like to step, where they do like the ball. Um, I mean, I know Cal's a, a good footballer, but I don't think we could <laughs> slot him in this weekend that I could I, I'd do the same job. It, it does take, <laughs> it does take, take a little bit of time to to really get to know how each other's how each other play. Um, I think with Bakai, I've kind of built that, and certainly with Brent, since since I've been here, he's uh, really really done a good job and continues to grow. So, um, yeah, although I think it, it is important you do build that rapport. Differences from playing alongside, you, you often play right centre-back. Mm-hmm. Differences of playing alongside somebody at left centre-back that's right-footed as opposed to left-footed. I'm assuming left-footed centre-halves offer you a lot more balance. Mm-hmm. You perhaps have a few more different angles to work with. Yeah. What are the limitations, though, with someone playing left centre-back with a right foot? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's most important like with the ball when you're building up the play as, as we're expected to some of the time. I think, but I mean, with Brent, he's he's got a pretty decent left foot. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'm like, that's better than my right. <laughs> um, so I think he's because he's kind of found himself in that left side position, he's kind of, he's like, okay, if I'm going to be playing here, I need to develop this part of my game and full respect to him. He's, he really has. And so I think you don't really lose much with him on that side. Although with a lefty, you, when you play that side, you do have, I don't know, a bit more trust in them when they're driving forward mm-hmm. that they can hit an array of balls or just pull it out. So yeah, I think with a right at left side, I'm like, you do offer different angles of support um, as you're building out, but I think that's that's the only real difference. Were you jealous that DeBossi got to play left outside back and you maybe wanted to play right outside back and make some of those 120-yard <laughs> runs up and down? Like, once once we had some injuries on that right-hand side last, were you were To you be fair, it was, spot? because it was in that Nashville game, I was like, I wouldn't mind doing a bit more running to stay warm, <laughs> but the amount of running that the, our fullbacks are expected to do is, is phenomenal, and Obviously, remained for so long. I don't. I don't know how for like two or three seasons he just got up and down. He must have done like twelve, thirteen k, and I'm sitting at centre back doing like <laughs> eight or nine so <laughs> a game. So it's yeah, they're asked to do a lot. So I think when you do ask a centre back to play outside, it's it's your engine's just so different. So yeah, it's 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 difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you you might needed to have been a little warmer. Um, for the game against Nashville, but one place that you you were always warm was where you started your college career at UC Santa Barbara. Let's talk about your career, shall we? <laughs> um, I can't imagine it was a, a bad place to play. I can't imagine it's a bad place to live. I can't imagine it's a bad place to learn how to play the game either. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's great, but also a bit of trouble when you're coming out of when you're an 18 year old moving out of home. Mm. Um, 
there are a lot of distractions. So it's like that first two years, it's, yeah, I think one of the drawing cards for me was like less to do with that they'd won a national championship the year before. It's kind of like, I think a, it was polled as like a top five party school in the country. So I was like, <laughs> where do I sign? So that was like the main draw card. And then kind of the football, the studies, kind of, so I was a typical teenager, just, yeah, clearly priorities in line. Um, but yeah, kind of got that out of the system and, and kind of knuckled down, focused on, on the football, a little bit of the study, and then, yeah, came out the other side and somehow still a professional footballer. What was your best memory from, from there from a soccer standpoint? And then also, what did you, what were you majoring in? Uh, so I majored in business and economics. Um, yeah, so I had to, had to put my head down a bit for those. But I think the best memories, I think in any sports group, it's like the things you do away from the field, um, in the locker room, the, the the social aspects of it, um, but I mean, we we would get big crowds there. I'd say like eighteen, nineteen thousand for some games, and whenever we scored goals, it was um, like the ritual that the fans would throw tortillas onto the field. <laughs> so we would have like national TV games against Indiana or UCLA. There's like some good videos on YouTube where we score and literally like hundreds and hundreds of like tortillas litter the field <laughs> and then sometimes they have to like stop the game because it's, they've like carpeted the field so they need to like clear the tortillas <laughs> off so those are those are the cool memories yeah it's a fun time i'll ask you perhaps off air what your favorite off the field memory was at that place <laughs> but um was it always your your aim then to go into major league soccer and be drafted because soon after you you were drafted by vancouver whitecaps mm -hmm. yeah that was the goal i think Obviously, growing up in New Zealand, the, the opportunities in professional football are very limited, especially back then. And I think it was important for my parents that I did have, like, a fallback plan. So the college system was, was a good route for that. And I think the likes of Simon Elliott and um, Ryan Nelson had kind of gone down that route and became very successful footballers after college. So, yeah, those, those were the kind of people I of my uh, route after and so yeah obviously went through the college system and yeah always had the eye of, of trying to go to the MLS straight after that and yeah fortunately I think I got picked like 346 in the draft or something <laughs> no it wasn't very high but it's I mean it's it's an opportunity and yeah earned, earned my first contract there um Vancouver Whitecaps at that time were an expansion team. Mm -hmm. A very different club to what they are now. Yeah. What What was it like playing for Vancouver? Amazing city. Yeah. I'm assuming you've got one or two stories off the field there, which we won't get into <laughs> there either. <laughs> From a footballing perspective, yeah. um, what was it like being a part of, of that expansion team? Yeah, expansion teams are tough. I think then it was very difficult because you, you don't have a, a permanent training facility, even the stadium's temporary. So it's definitely... A team, a club that was still building and trying to mould, mould the club, mould the culture, and everything. So, but also you're trying to win, win games at the same time, which don't necessarily go hand in hand, and it's it's always difficult. So, yeah, it was it was a bit of a shambles. You have, yeah, coaches left after I don't know two or three months. Um, another guy comes in and he sees out the season, but then partway through the season, he's you're told that he's not going to be there next year. So it's was just a very strange situation as a young footballer when you're trying to you're still trying to learn your craft so it's obviously had some good professionals there uh jay demerit was there mm -hmm. um john thorrington was uh one of the model professionals we had that we, we looked up to there so you know it was a it was a tough situation to as your first experience of professional football i was just gonna say did that did that sour you at all on the idea then of playing professional like this is is this what it's going to be like or did you understand that this was just an expansion team and and it was something that you were going to have to kind of learn from at that time yeah I think it was I mean because I eventually I got cut not long until like the second season there so I think I think having all those kind of setbacks and less than ideal situations kind of they set you up and mold you it's like okay you're either gonna if you're gonna make it you're gonna have to really want this and do a lot more than what anybody else is doing. Mm. Otherwise, you can, yeah, you can say you're a professional footballer for a season and then just move on with your life. And yeah, I guess we can kind of, kind of guess which way I went. But then, well, once you were let go by the Whitecaps, you you went 
home, essentially. You went to play for Wellington Phoenix in the Australian mm-hmm. A-League. Um, yeah. w- was that something you wanted to do? I mean, because I know it's obviously a, a big team in New Zealand. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. I've seen you on, on Instagram, you, you go to games in the off-season, you watch them. I'm assuming it's, it's mm-hmm. your team. But was that the move you, you wanted at that time? Or was it a, a comfort factor go, going back home for a little bit? Um, probably one of the... Because it, it was one of the only clubs that wanted me, I think. I th- because I obviously played a few games for the national team and that coach was also coaching that team at the right. time. Um, obviously, I would have preferred to, to have stayed in the Northern Hemisphere, whether that's North America or try somewhere in Europe and, and graft it out um, that way. But obviously, no, no opportunities came about. So that's kind of where I ended up. And uh, even then, it's you go back there and they have obviously, as we spoke before, have a centre-back pairing that had played together for years and years and uh, the senior players on the team. So, I mean, I, I sat on the bench for a while and, again, it's just, yeah, some difficult times. So it was a great group of players to be a part of, but when you're not playing, it's, it's always difficult. Uh, so, yeah, just more more, more lessons for me to, to keep at it and obviously put in, yeah, back there I was, I got a training and then eventually at some point just, yeah, I got like a personal training, just started doing like extra stuff on the side to, because I was like, if I just keep doing what I'm doing, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. So mm. yeah, I had to do a little bit more. When you decided, when did you decide that a change needed to happen? You wanted to pursue, you wanted to continue playing mm-hmm. as a professional. Yeah. When did you decide that then this, get, you get the trainer, but mm-hmm. that the next step needed to happen? How did that come about when you went and played um, South Africa? Trying to think, because it was, I don't know, I feel like, like three coaches in Vancouver, three in Wellington. It was like, and there's six coaches that I've kind of gone through and none of them kind of saw me in as a starting player or someone that they would like to work on to grow into like a professional footballer. So I'm like, okay, well, it can't, either I can just say all these six people are wrong and I'm out the door probably playing Sunday league or something or I can kind of go out of my way to, I mean, we're training three, four hours a day. You've got so much time the rest of the day to, to be productive or you can just sit at home, play video games, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, you kind of got to make that decision there whether you want to turn this into a career or you can, yeah, just have a good time for three, four years and then come out the other side and not really have too many. It's tough to have opportunities after that when you've only played football and you put that on your CV. <laughs> it's not the, not the best thing for employers to see I can imagine but um, yeah so it was kind of the combination of that that kind of flicked the switch I was like okay I gotta gotta start doing a bit more than what I'm doing. Well you clearly impressed somebody because you then got to move to South Africa and and not just any team in South Africa as well Supersport United are the team in South Africa how did that come about and and we, we, we know this is the global game. Football's played in all four corners, but mm-hmm. not very often you think about football played in South Africa. It's, it's rugby, it's cricket, and, yeah. okay, soccer plays its part for sure, but, mm-hmm. but how did that come about, and what were your initial thoughts when that approach came in? Yeah, I never never would have crossed my mind until I got the call from the agent, and I think it's just one of the great things about international football that I kind of owe a lot of my career to, where if I'm, yeah, if I'm maybe if I'm not playing age group for New Zealand or... Then I don't get the scholarship, or I don't get noticed by Vancouver. Then, so th- I think this is this, a similar case where, because I played, I mean, it definitely was the case because I played for New Zealand against South Africa. Right. The coach at the time uh, of South Africa then got a club job and then brought myself and another New Zealander over. Jeremy Brocking. That's the one. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I owe so much of my career to playing for New Zealand. Uh, just kind of puts you on the map because you, you really you don't know who's watching those games and so yeah whether it's yeah club or country you just got to make sure you put your full effort out there. What was that like? What was that experience like? How different was it from playing at home or, or playing in the United States? Or uh, big 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 shock. I think just this style of play, it's less structured and then you've got like on every single team in South Africa you've got six bonkakules. Hmm. So who's <laughs> They're so quick, they're so good on the ball, they're so sharp, and uh, I kind of got pushed to right back out there. So you're isolated so much of the time. So it was like another moment in time where I'm like, okay, I need to like level up here, otherwise I'll be going back to New Zealand like as soon as this contract's up. So 
yeah, it's it's a difficult difficult league to play in as a foreign defender, I think. And but I, I love my time there. Uh, I have some great teammates, great friends from there, and yeah, a couple of trophies and a beautiful country. Uh, and I think if I hadn't gone there through football, I I don't think anywhere like yeah, I don't think anywhere on the continent of Africa is like kind of on my bucket list to travel to. So I'm so grateful that I got time to spend in South Africa and then also travel. Uh, to some beautiful places and also see some pretty crazy places through the uh, through the Champions League over there. With the signing of um, Bogogutlech Longwane, a lot of people are curious now as to what mm-hmm. the standard is. What's he coming from? Yeah. So what is that standard over there? I th- obviously, it's been a few years since I was there, but I think like the technical ability of these players is unreal. So it's you've got eight nine players with the dribbling ability of Bogogutlech. Um, and it, yeah, it's less structured, so it, all these players are allowed, they do have the freedom to express themselves, and it really does come out in how they play, and yeah, as a, as a defender coming from where I come from, it was a rude awakening, but um, yeah, you just got to take the time to figure it out, and yeah, I really enjoyed it, but yeah, there's so many talented players over there, I think, yeah, hopefully... Bongs keeps taking his chance and really kicks on as, as he's shown that he has already. And, yeah, who knows? That might open the door for, for more South African footballers. Quick question on him now that you've, you've experienced that league in South Africa and also seeing him come over here. First of all, he always has a smile on his face. Yeah. But second of all, I hear Ian talking to him a lot, Ian mm-hmm. Fuller, the assistant coach. Yeah. How how do you how do you do that with a player where like you want his creativity and his energy and his freedom of thought, but you're also trying to get him to adhere to his system? I, you know what I mean? Like how, yeah, yeah. how do you do that with a with a player? I think it's difficult to kind of because you kind of want to mold him into how the team plays, but then you also want him to play for the reasons that you brought him over. So exactly. I think it's about I think you kind of just got to let him put him in the right areas and then give him the ball. And obviously, kind of what he's done just off the cuff is it's been six, it's helped the team. It's a mm. bit more dynamic than, especially when you bring him on as a sub. He's he changes the game immediately for us. Um, so I think you let him kind of have the freedom to do what he's already done, and then if that doesn't work, which I mean it has, but if it doesn't at some point, then I think that's when you kind of start to try and mold him into more of a complete player. But, I mean, with young talent like that, you just kind of got to let it go. Let's move on to when you joined Minnesota United. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was 2017, uh, the expansion year. Um, yeah. It feels like an eternity ago. Um, <laughs> I, I first heard about you joining the football club when you were on international duty for New Zealand playing in the Confederations Cup. Mm-hmm. And you were marking Cristiano Ronaldo and, and it was sensational to, to watch a player that was going to be one of our own playing at that level. Was that the best football? Was that the best level that you have played at? Was that the best level that you were at as a footballer? Um, yeah, probably. I think... But then when you're playing when you're playing against the champions of Europe, it's like you don't touch the ball a whole lot. So right. it's, <laughs> it's tough to say that you're playing in a football match when you don't really touch the ball. But obviously they have world-class players and then some of them... Weren't quite didn't weren't quite getting the recognition that they had then because I mean Bernardo Silva was hadn't got his move yet, um, so I think he scored a like back heel kind of flick and you're like, okay, who's this guy? And then <laughs> a month later he's signing for Man City or something. It's got like charisma and mm. yeah, players you've kind of grown up watching and the biggest games in football. Uh, yeah, so that's probably the highest level of team I've played against, and then. I think of the second game we played against Mexico and I think yeah, first 50, 60 minutes we kind of like played them off the park. Should have been 3-0. I think we're at 1-0. And then they kind of come on in the, late, in the last 20 minutes and, and beat us 2-1. But I think, yeah, between those two games, it's yeah the highest level I've played against and then probably the, the best I've, I've played against, against the, like a high-level team. So when you got the move and, and you came here to Minnesota United and yet another expansion club in an expansion year in 2017, mm-hmm. what was your initial feeling then coming back also to MLS and then maybe where the club is now? 
yeah, I'd kind of set my goals to, to, to come back here. And, yeah, lucky enough for that to, to happen. And, yeah, obviously into another expansion team. And, yeah, even through – because I kind of got whispers of the, the deal um, in, like, early January, February. So you kind of track them through preseason and their, their first handful of games. And you're like – you see the kind of goals going like <laughs> – one hand, you're like, is this where I want to go? And then also it's like, I feel like I can help this team as well. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I must have helped the team if I'm, I'm still here a few years later. So, yeah. Um, the seasons then continued on. And, and one thing that, whilst everything seems to be changing uh, around the football club, the one thing that didn't change was, was you being an integral part of it. Um, how do you think you have developed as a footballer over the last couple of years, particularly during your time here? I think the biggest part for me is just the kind of growth of my mindset. I think you kind of come in and there's so much, so many moving parts around you with a new club. Obviously, as you alluded to before, players coming and going, uh, the building of the club, the training ground, the the stadium. So, I don't know, with all that kind of going on in the background, you, you kind of just need to stay focused on, on what you're doing, the here and now, and, yeah, just staying present. And I think important for me when having a growing family at that point too. It's um, obviously football is not the most important thing in, in my life. So it's, yeah, it's your job. So you want to give everything to it so that you can keep doing it. And cause, yeah, there's really no better job in the world, but also creating a world and a life for, for, your, for your wife and kids that's, um, that you want to go home to as well. So yeah, I think there was, yeah, so many moving parts, bit of a whirlwind, especially those first two years. Um, but then when you see kind of the vision of the club, what we were moving into, uh, the players that we then later started attracting as well, really made you want to invest more and more each time you showed up to the training ground. You've worn the captain's armband for Minnesota United a number of times. Mm-hmm. How would you qualify or define your style of leadership? Uh, I don't, I'm, not sure, I'm not too sure. It's... I've, I don't know. The armbands, it's kind of a weird thing. It's not something I would put my hand up for. And I certainly don't think an armband makes you a leader. Um, but I think when the gaffer or the club kind of gives you that honour, it is kind of reflective of the work you've put in. But then, I don't know, me as a leader, I'm not the loudest person, but I do... Obviously, it's my job to keep things organised and when do thing, when things do go to kind of someone needs to stand up and, and put a stop to it so yeah that's I feel like that's kind of my responsibility especially when I've been here for as long as I have um, and new players kind of come in and you need to show them the ropes and really set the standards and um, but I think like for us we've, we've got a really good group an honest group that yeah no matter what they, they do show up and, and do to give their full effort you are a leader, though, Box. People do look up to you. <laughs> Seriously, like, because I remember going, it was pre season 2019, I think, and we were in mm-hmm. Arizona. And I remember um, having a couple of beers um, out with one or two of the staff members. And uh, we bumped into to some of, of you guys out mm-hmm. and about. And um, you could tell in the group that you were with, um, and it wasn't even just some of the younger lads, it was a lot of the senior players as well. Mm-hmm. They looked up to you. You you were absolutely at the centre of the conversation. And I know, you're, as you say, you're not the loudest individual, but you are a you are a leader. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure whether. I think, <laughs> I don't know, I just think that you just got to treat everyone equally. I think it's about respect. And I think no matter if it's an Aussie Alonso or if it's the undrafted rookie that's just come in, you got to treat them the same. So... I think it's yeah, kind of credit to how my parents raised me that that's how I like to treat every individual, like everyone in the room here. You kind of got to give them the same respect that yeah, it doesn't matter if they're Cristiano Ronaldo, superstar mm-hmm. of the world, or it's the people that help out put around the NSC. You know, you give them time of day, you greet them, you say hello, how are you going? Just the simple things. Um, talking of leadership, uh, a lot of. Um, that is, is I think, guided towards age, which I, I think is. You're saying not he's old. Fair. What I'm saying <laughs> is, <laughs> is at, at 33 years of age now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there, there tends to be a time in one's footballing career when they start to think about what is next. Are you at that point yet? Uh, probably a few years ago. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's yeah. Once you get on the other side of, especially yeah, 31, 32, 33, it's like kind of every year after that is it's a blessing, really. So yeah, for me to be here, I've, yeah, my wife and I are still. Like every year we're making goals, plans to how we want to see our lives in three, four, five years' time for our kids. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely been, it's been in the back of my mind for four or five years, whether my career lasted or ended at 30 or mm. I can play till 37, 38. But, yeah, you just, there's a lot of things you can't control. Uh, yeah, so we are, yeah, definitely looking forward, making plans, but also, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm body's feeling good. Um, I feel like I recover from games better now than in my late twenties. Um, a few things help that, but it's well. What what, what is that? What why is that? Um, I think number one, you won't see me with the group catching me at one a.m. after I've had a few beers <laughs> sure. anymore. <laughs> I think because of the pandemic, I nothing was open anymore, so I just stopped going out, and I just noticed how much better I felt without alcohol. Right. Um, plus, it's. You've got two kids. You <laughs> hangover with kids is like the worst thing in the world. Like that's the ultimate punishment. So that that doesn't happen anymore. And um, yeah, obviously a little bit of a plug for my wife, but obviously her collagen company. I felt like that's kind of kind of help with that. Um, so yeah, body's feeling good. Yeah, I don't I think we actually did some like jump testing today and. <laughs> Beat all the young boys, so <laughs> still feeling okay. There you go. Yeah, well, I was because I was literally just going to ask that as we were talking to Will Trap as well. But like, how how else have you had to maybe take care of your body differently? You talked about the pandemic forcing you not mm-hmm. to drink anymore. You don't go out as much anymore. Having kids changes things. Mm-hmm. But in general, is there something you do differently in the off season or train differently or different workouts or is it literally just being more mindful of what your body, more aware of what your body needs? Uh, a bit of both, I think. In the off season, I do. I feel like I work harder than I do during the season. Um, I, I don't know. I, you have like a few days off after the season, kind of to, to fresh the mind. But after three, four days, I'm like kind of itching to get going again. So, plus if you stop for an amount of time, like the first two, three weeks is like death. So, <laughs> if you don't get unfit, then you don't need to get fit again. So, just trying to maintain that kind of level. But then. I think another thing with me is like my ability to switch off is it's it's up there. <laughs> like as soon as I yeah, we win or lose a game, like ten twenty minutes after the game, you just forget about it and you kind of reset, refocus, and because um, I mean you give your all for ninety minutes, but then at the end of the day, it's it is just a football game, um, and how. And so much in a football game is out of your control. Like referees, how the ball bounces, performance of your teammates, other teams. It's like so much is out of your control. So as long as you're giving your all and you're happy with that, then the result kind of takes care of itself. And yeah, so I think just the ability to switch off when you're away from the game, focus on your family. Uh, Running around with my kids, kids keeps me young as well. So yeah, I feel like that's a, a big help for me. We'll ask you one more before we move on to actually previewing the San Jose game. We, we've done it again where we could literally sit here for hours and talk to you, so we appreciate the time boxing. Um, New Zealand international football, I know, is is something that you hold incredibly dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, a double question here, really. Number one, have you have you achieved what you, you wanted to with the New Zealand national team? And second question there, how much more do you want to do with the national team moving forward? Mm-hmm. Well, I think in being a World Cup, yeah. Although, I don't know, for some reason, it's just a World Cup in Qatar. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it's a real World Cup, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think Qatar should be hosting a World Cup. Um, but I think for me in my career, it's something that I do. You kind of want to have there at least give it a full go. And um, obviously last year, we've, our last cycle around we, we fell short to Peru who are, who are a good team um, so I think I'll, I'm so grateful to play for my country it's kind of gotten me pretty far in my career so yeah this year I'd, yeah I want to be giving it all for my national team it, it does mean a lot to me uh, 
So, yeah, I do want to be qualifying for, for the World Cup and, and helping us get there. How many times have you played with your brother? And, I mean, what's that like hmm. uh, on the national team to represent your country I together? we've been in the same camp two or three times, and then, but we haven't shared the field yet. Okay. It was, yeah, it's been honestly so unlucky. The, there's been times where we've been close to, and then we had a camp in January when we went to play a, like friendly against Uzbekistan, and then literally like 36 hours before the game's about to kick off, we have like a couple of COVID cases, so they like call the game off, and obviously we're both, yeah, meant to play in that game, so it's, yeah, we're still waiting, but it's uh, it hasn't happened yet. But he's yeah, he's he's doing well. He's yeah with the national team now. They've got the qualifiers in in Qatar at the minute, and just moved to San Diego. So he's he's doing well. So I'm I'm, I'm happy to see him doing really well. Wonderful. Um, again, appreciate the time. Mm-hmm. Let's now talk about San Jose, shall we? Uh, the upcoming opponents for Minnesota United on on Saturday at Allianz Field. Um, the Best way, perhaps, to describe them is peculiar. I think I, I don't think that's un, I don't think that's unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a team that, because of the space that they at least back in twenty nineteen provided, I don't think much has changed. This is a team that even you scored against, and I say that with all due respect in the sense that you I remember you played a one two with whoever was playing centre forward at the time, and you, mm. you found yourself inside the box, and you were able to open the hips and, and yeah. put it in the far corner. How do you how do you prepare for the intricacies of, of a team like San Jose, who, mm-hmm. as I said, they haven't really changed much since that twenty nineteen team? Yeah, no, I think for the San Jose games, you kind of need to break out of the mold that you particularly prefer for a, a normal team. And I think, yeah, no disrespecting them, but they just don't play like any football team you've ever seen or ever played against. So it's it is a strange one. Although I think, obviously. The way they've played in 2019-2020, the results didn't go their way, so they've kind of changed it a little bit. Uh, but I think a lot of their, their principles still apply. So I think when the ball does turn over either way, if you're not organised, you can't get punished by them. Um, but then on the flip side, if when you win the ball, you're organised and have players in the right areas, then they can't get punished. And I think you kind of see them get down on the counter yeah, already a few times uh, the season and... Um, but it, yeah, they're such a strange team. I think I remember they've they have so many like there'll be like a one month of each season where they're like the best team in the MLS. <laughs> they win like four five nil and score like twenty goals a month or something silly. And um, but then yeah, once players, once teams and coaches kind of figure that out, they yeah get organized and um, yeah, San Jose don't do it as well. <laughs> How much can be made of the return of Francisco Calvo and or Jan Gregus? I know obviously Gregus having been here more recently, but mm-hmm. Calvo spent those first couple of years alongside you yeah. somewhat in that center back role. So mm-hmm. h- how much do you pay attention to that as when former teammates return or not so much? Uh, yeah, not as much. I think you s- kind of see the, there's just so much player turnover in this league. Uh, so you're bound to run into old teammates. Obviously Eric Miller was here the other week. Yes. Uh, but no, I think Jan Gregus is, yeah, definitely deserves bringing up because he, obviously the difference between 18 and 19 and what he kind of helped this club achieve and grow into, he, he was a big part of that and played a big role in, in those, yeah, those three years he was here. So, yeah, obviously he's absolute class professional. I think, I mean, I would be showered and had lunch already and you kind of look back and you'd still see him working on the training field. I'm like, it's his work ethic is, is, is amazing. So it's good to see him him still playing. Um, hope he's enjoying his football. And yeah, we'll be we're looking forward to catch up with him. I've been dying to ask you this for a while now after we saw Matias Almeida's comments about Jackson Yule, who of course is a, a Minnesotan kid, um, mm-hmm. playing at centre-half at the moment. Yeah. Matias Almeida came out and, and said, and I thought he was... Um, not meaning to be, but I thought he was a little disrespectful to the art of playing centre-half, actually, with the comments he said, in terms of he, he said he wants Jackson Yule to play at centre-back at the moment because he thinks when he is 31-32, his passing range and the ability to see the field will benefit him more when he's playing in the central midfield. I understand that point of view, mm-hmm. but there's more to being a centre-half than just being able to see the field and pass the ball. You actually, surely yeah. your, your number one focus has to be defending. Yeah, it should be. I think, yeah, for them as well, I think. <laughs> the, yeah, I 
don't think they've clipped a clean sheet so right. far with, with him back there. But, it's, yeah, it's not easy. I think, first and foremost, if you're in the back four, your number one job is, is to defend. I think you find special centre-backs in, in the best teams of the world who do spray the ball and are great with the ball at their feet. Uh, but that's like one in a hundred maybe. I think every other centre-back in the world, you, you keep it simple, you do your job, keep the ball out of the net, you'll, you'll continue to play, continue to... To, to step onto the field. So I think that has to be the number one. Um, but I, I think you look at their coach and you have those sorts of players. You, I don't know. But he's he's come up with creative ways to play the game of football. So he's, he's coming up with creative ways to, to motivate his players. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll, I haven't seen too much video of, of San Jose yet. But, yeah, we'll have, have to have a look at, at what their centre-back pairing or trio will be. I, I get the feeling, especially when it's somebody like a Jackson and even Francisco Calvo, mm-hmm. they like to play the ball at feet. They like to have the ball at feet, rather, which, in my opinion, means there'll be a lot more stepping out of position. Mm-hmm. You would assume with the way that Amarias plays so wonderfully off the shoulder, yeah. there'd be opportunities on Saturday. Yeah, I like to think so, especially with us at home. And if you... Yeah, I think the way that Luis Amarillo loves to play off the shoulder, and I think... Out of all players in this league, the players that are able to find, give players the ball in the space at the right time when they need it, like Reynoso's up there with the very best of them. So I think with that combination where obviously they've played against tough, comp- compact teams our first three games. Um, so yeah, if they do get a bit of space, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do. Hopefully that happens this weekend. I just want to ask you also, in that same vein, you talk about Reynoso and his ability and the addition of Kerman Ariaga to this mm-hmm. group. What have you seen from him and and maybe him being that connecting pass? If there is some space to find, if it's mm-hmm. not directly to Reynoso, wh- what have you seen from Ariaga in the couple games that he's been able to play with you guys? So I, I love this kid. I really do. I think he yeah, showed up in Portland and I think we had like a 15-minute training session with him in the middle of the park. I'm like, his ability to, to break up play, like he's a, he's a dog defensively and then you can still give him the ball in tight areas he can he's got the skill to to wriggle out of tight spaces but then also to like spray the ball left and right but then with the ball at his feet to drive forward when it's on and to release other players and just break lines it's he's he's yeah been great for us and obviously he's just getting going so i'm excited to see what he can do this year next year wherever his career kind of takes him Boxy, we really appreciate the time. One more question for you. After the results away to the New York Red Bulls last weekend, how confident now is the group of getting a result? It feels like there is an expectation with this group heading into Saturday's game against San Jose. Yeah, I think obviously when Nashville kind of came here, we yeah started the started the game on the wrong foot and the way they defend, it's not... And with the weather, it's not the, the kind of game that we like to play at home. So I think... We owe our fans like a good performance, so and we expect that of ourselves, particularly now that we've got the first win on the road. So I think if we, yeah, if we prepare properly and everyone, we, from the very, very first whistle, we're, we're on the front foot, we're getting our exciting attacking players involved that, yeah, we do expect to win. These, these are the kind of games that... Um, that you kind of have to win to pick up points and if you want to be hosting playoff games later down the year. I just want to ask one more thing. I, I'm not on Instagram, so I don't get to see all the, the cute pics of the kids, but <laughs> if you had a favorite thing that each of your kids, Max and Bo, do now that you're seeing them get older, and we've seen Max now in her outfits and mm-hmm. knock her brother down and the, you know <laughs> shooting at the end of the game, like what's one mm-hmm. favorite thing of, of each of your kids that they're doing now? Um, I, don't, I mean, Maxwell, she's getting so big. I'm like... <laughs> she behaves like a teenager some days that's like I get bewildered when she like acts her age I'm like no 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 you you were more mature than this and now you're having a tantrum I'm like it doesn't make sense <laughs> um, so she's yeah she's honestly um, yeah beautiful and just the, the level of conversations that I'm able to have with her is, is, is really cool and then Bo's, yeah, he's he's a tank, but he's he's so much fun as well. Big smile on his face. He's got a nice left left foot on him, so uh, it'll be we've just been in our basement kicking the ball around, so it'll be nice to to do that on some grass once the snow melts or 
after we win against San Jose. Wonderful. Boxy, really appreciate the time. Thank you no so worries. much. It's been a pleasure. My thanks as always to Kindred D. St. Aubin, special guest Michael Boxall, our expert button presser Andrea Correa as well. Uh, and thank you to you for listening at home as well. All eyes now focus on Saturday when Minnesota United host San Jose Earthquakes. <laughs>